If you like the Smug Film Podcast, do yourself a favor and head over to patreon.com slash smugfilm, where we've got a bunch of great rewards if you donate to the show. For $1 a month, you'll get a bonus mini episode of the show every Monday in your inbox, as well as access to all of our past mini episodes. These episodes will never be available on iTunes or anywhere else. The only way to hear them is by donating $1 a month or more through patreon.com slash smugfilm. For $5 a month, You'll get the bonus episodes, plus we'll do a 30-second plug of whatever you want on one episode a month. Whether you want us to plug your website, your movie, your small business, the movie The Protector with Tony Jaw, whatever it is, we'll plug it. And for $10 a month, you'll get the bonus episodes, plus we'll do that 30-second plug on every single episode of the show. So once again, that URL is patreon.com slash smugfilm. Head over there today, and we look forward to your kind donation. And now on to the show. Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today is John D'Amico Yo. and Jenna Ipcar. Yo. All right, so... Yo. Yo. Why y'all gotta take my yo? Fucking a, stole that from out under me. It was a good yo, and we wanted to try it out with our vocal cords. It yeah, se- I wanted to give it a shot. It seemed fun. It was. I'm being honest. Yo. Do it again, Jenna. Yo. Yo. Yeah, it's fun. It rolls off the mouth. In an enjoyable way. All right, so today we are talking about remasters, restorations, etc. That kind of miss the ball, and the ones that that do get the ball, and various various versions of the ball being gotten or not gotten. Everybody's always on Lucas about uh, changing the Star Wars movies, but there are plenty other directors who've done similar fuck ups. And even Lucas himself, I remember THX 1138, he added all that CGI to it. You remember that? Yeah, he added little monkeys in the background of some of the scenes. Just like the weirdest addition you could add to a film. Just like <laughs> put little CGI monkeys in the back of some of the scenes. Yeah, and if ever there was a film that really didn't need CGI, it's something as stripped down as THX. I would argue there are very few movies that need 30 years later, the addition of several, several CGI monkeys in the background. Yeah. I mean, that's I think a, that the numbers on that, it's not a lot. Uh, very low numbers. I'm sure there's an exception to the rule. I can't think of one. And Maybe I summer of 42. <laughs> couple CGI monkeys in the back. Yeah, because it like flags in the middle. Love story. Okay. You know, like it's, it's okay, but it really, it, it kind of, there's not a lot going on and you could use something happening. It's not very well shot. <laughs> In that case, maybe you add a couple of CGI monkeys. Yeah, I hear you. But, but that's uh, it. Yeah. So THX, people should be getting on him about because THX is, is a very good movie. And uh, it doesn't get the, the, the hatred that uh, the Star Wars movies get because of the, the changes and whatnot. But also, you know, a big example for me, the Warriors, Walter Hill. Yeah. He totally fucked that one up. He... Uh, it's almost unwatchable now. Yeah, he went a little nuts and he decided arbitrarily that the Warriors was always meant to look like a comic book. I think he saw like Ang Lee's Hulk or something and had like yeah. an epiphany because it was around that time. Like, I don't know what he was thinking. but Yeah, he made, like 300 was still pretty hot. Yeah, he made like this uh, <laughs> ultimate director's cut. I think that's what it's called, the DVD. And now, now the only Blu-ray that exists is a shitty cut where... He does like that Photoshop, like uh, fake comic book illustration filter shit on some scenes. And he sticks in like 
comic book animation and um you know there's a little rectangular like and then this happened shit and it's like you basically just drew over your movie there was nothing wrong with the warriors it, it's what it was and now the only way to see it on blu-ray is this shitty fake version it's like it cuts to creep show too anytime there's a transition between scenes mm -hmm. is what it feels like oh, what yeah. was there originally I have only seen that Nothing. version. It was just a normal movie originally. Like oh, scenes okay. just cut like a normal person cut them. Yeah. That's, you know, so here's the thing. Like I don't buy blue. I don't have a Blu-ray player, which is bad. And I, I know that because I really want one for some other movies. But and I don't buy DVDs that often. I, I have like a maybe two stacks of DVDs in my house, you know, like all digital. I, yeah, I'm kind of all digital. And then so then it kind of depends on what I can find or like what is available and so like the war warriors I came into later in life and I've only seen that version. And I, I did notice and dislike that part of it. You have only seen the shitty version. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's really, horrible. it's so strange that I didn't even realize that I just sort of thought like, well, this is really outdated, but it's really interesting <laughs> that that's well, it's funny because it really is outdated, but like it's outdated <laughs> in the wrong era. Right. Like yeah. it's really outdated from like, Oh four. Right. Like it's this weird it, it's it's like Wolfen. One of the strangest changes. Yeah, it's one of the strangest changes because it just like it comes totally out of nowhere, and I cannot conceptualize of anybody else except for the one guy who wanted to do it being like this was a good idea. I can't believe like none of the the studios or the EPs or anybody weren't like, well, just calm down, or at least put both versions on the Blu-ray. Yeah. You had thirty years to decide whether or not you were going to do this, and for most of those years, were you were pretty content with no. Yeah. So let's just leave it be. Yeah, he it's it's like somebody doodling over their finished painting. It's like he he painted a painting and then he went over it with like crayon or something. It's like it's that shoddy and stupid. Well, I think the people making these decisions tend to be these business types who just don't they don't get it. You know, like it's he probably came up to them and said, hey, let's let's update it so that a new generation will watch it. And they were like, perfect. And then he did that. shit. <laughs> that happens sometimes. That's um. With the, the Alien DVD, that old set, um, and, and still the Blu-ray and everything since then, which the caveat is that the Alien films, I think, are maybe the best handled properties, you know, of any that I know of on their on their releases all the time. They're always really wonderfully restored and respectfully treated, and the original stuff is always there in completion. Even the VHSs but, looked great. Yeah, like, those, yeah. uh, those goldish, like clamshell cases were gorgeous yeah fox has always been really good with them but when they did the um the first it was called the alien quadrilogy mm -hmm. in uh i think it came out that set probably in like oh two or oh three or at least that's when i got it and it was the one where you unrolled all the dvds it was nine dvds and it was like the first set anybody ever had that was that big and when you unrolled it it was like a whole coffee table the whole thing with that is they wanted to be able to have two versions of each film yeah. Because there were famously two versions of the second one. And the third one, they wanted to restore Fincher's cut and have, you know, the the two versions that exist to that one. So I guess while they were at it, they're like, well, let's just do the other two. Um, and they put some deleted scenes in the beginning of Alien Resurrection, which nobody cares about because it's garbage in either cut. And it's just nobody cares about that movie. But they had Ridley Scott recut uh, Alien, the first one, and put it on the disc as the director's cut. And there are interviews with him and quotes of him and stuff where he's like, well, this is not the director's cut. This is just, they asked me to redo it. So I shortened some scenes and put back in some deleted scenes I kind of liked. But if anybody's just going to watch the movie, I would rather than watch the theatrical cut because the theatrical cut is the director's cut. Yeah. And I, I think that happens with a lot of, um, 
it's this weird like fallout of the the DVD era. You have um, this enshrinement of alternate versions as as the preferred version that I think usually isn't really the case. Yeah, people have this idea of director's cuts as like, oh, the studio pushed for all this stuff. The finished version wasn't true to their vision. But in in the case of a lot of things, it's like this this superfluous cut where it's like, hey, do another cut and we can sell it as a new cut. Yeah. As you're saying with with Ridley Scott. And I think it's just the perception that people have when they see, oh, there's a director's cut. It means that that's they were wronged in some way and they Yeah, like the unrated cut of every comedy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's really just the same movie with like twenty minutes of stuff that wasn't that funny put back in. It's right. only technically unrated too, because like a yeah. lot of a lot of these movies, they would still get like an R or yeah. whatever. If they got re-rated, but it's just they're technically unrated because the MPAA hasn't watched the shitty unrated DVD version where they stuck a couple DVD scenes, supple, yeah, couple deleted scenes in. Supple deleted bleens. Supple deleted bleens in, you know? Totes. Totes. And like in the case of like the Apatow shit too, it's like his movies are like what, like two and a half hour long comedies at a certain point now with like this is 40 and... Then you get the DVD and it's like even longer. And it's like nobody's telling Apatow what not to do with his movies. Like he has pretty much, he could do whatever he wants. So the idea of him getting like director's cuts and unrated versions, it's even more preposterous because he creates these bloated movies to begin with. Yeah. And most movies where there truly was a big fight between the director and the studio over what's going to go in it, unless the director later became a huge name those director's cuts just won't exist. Right. Right. Like the movies that really probably do need a director's cut, like say Mike's murder, which is what I've been saying for a long time. They need to restore the yeah, original ref- cut. Refresh of. the uh, listeners. Cause that's a great example. Mike's murder came out in 84 and it's this really wonderful LA neo-noir. It's like the only neo-noir movie I like. And it's about this guy that's murdered. And then this girl that he had like an on again, off again thing is trying to figure out what happened. The original cut, because audiences in the eighties were so stupid and the, the test was like a big disaster. The original cut of the movie ran backwards like Memento does. And the music was all um, Joe Jackson songs that he wrote um, spe- specifically for the film, like these upbeat pop songs to be kind of like a contrast with the really downbeat footage. And it was a big disaster because test audiences in the 80s are notoriously stupid. So <laughs> They're all on coke. They were mad dumb in the 80s. So they flipped it all around and they released it, you know, like with a John Barry piano score and the scenes playing in chronological order. And it's still really good, but the original film, the, the like real director's cut doesn't exist. And no it one doesn't YouTube have hasn't a, gotten on that. No, All right, it listeners. doesn't have a high enough profile. The movie is only out in Warner archive. And I emailed them once and asked if they're going to do anything about that. And they, uh, they didn't seem too interested. It they might were, not be possible. <laughs> they definitely have, they have a spam folder for you, John. I'm sure everybody <laughs> does. Yeah, it might not. I don't know, maybe the footage is gone or whatever. But in in either case, the, the true director's cuts, you know, they stay on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Well, that was a, that was a funny thing with um, the Bad Lieutenant Blu-ray. And I guess the DVD too. I think it's the same commentary. But uh, there's a commentary with Abel Ferrara and his cinematographer. And as they're watching the movie, they're noticing everything that's wrong with it. 
as far as like how light or dark a scene should be. Yeah. And like the, the Blu-ray looks great as far as like visual quality. It's not like it's a shitty transfer. It's just that all the timing of everything is completely wrong to how it was theatrically and how they wanted it to be. That's really interesting. So as they're watching it, you know, they're talking about, you know, the making of it and they see somebody pop up on screen and they start talking about that person. But they're also <laughs> like, well, wait a second. That's, <laughs> That corridor scene was supposed to be really dark, wasn't it? And we'll never see that, like, remastered Bad Lieutenant. Nobody's going to hear that commentary and be like, oh, fuck, we better contact them and get them back here and do another version. It's like, no, it's like Bad Lieutenant on Blu-ray is like one of those, like, permanently $6 Blu-rays. Probably doesn't make much profit. It's not a movie that is going to get, like, a proper remaster with proper, you know, director approved, DP approved, unless like Criterion puts it out, which is like me crossing my fingers for, because I think that might, that's the kind of film that Criterion might grab. Have you, like in general, whenever I see director's cut on a DVD, I tend to avoid it because half that's of the ones move. that yeah. I've seen are really not that great. And I even would throw Apocalypse Now in there. The Redux, it's not bad whatsoever. I love the extra footage, loving that movie. I wanted to see it, but I like the original cut better. No, I totally agree. The the um, Apocalypse Now recut, the, the theatrical movie, the longer it goes, the darker it gets and the further civilization goes from everybody. And in the, the re-edited version, which was like 2001 or something, it's like it has pit stops. Right. You know, and you lose this whole like descent into darkness of the whole thing. And yeah. I, I, it also kind of reminds me of this movie called And Now My Love that my mother was like hardcore hyping on me for years. She was like, this movie, it's like Claude Lelouch. It's such a great movie. It's really beautiful. You have to find it. You have to find it. You have to find it. Could not for the life of me find it. Finally, I think I found some like DVD at like a DVD store that was like, or, or something, or maybe I even found, found, I downloaded it illegally or something. Don't arrest me. But it was it was so so hard to find, and then I found this only one version. And I watched it with my mom. I was like, I found this movie finally, and it was apparently a, like a director's cut, <laughs> and that was the only version that was around. And it was really bad. Like basically, the movie revolves kind of around a love story of a you know boy meets girl kind of thing, and then it kind of shows you throughout their entire lives. So as one dies, they have children. The children, and it's like I. I think it's like the same actors or the same four actors. Like it's kind of like this reincarnation thing almost. It's an interesting movie, but it ends with this director's cut where they're like in in like space basically, but Mm. like 60s or it came out like in the seventies, but like it's really cheesy, like dumb new age shit where it it like ends. Like it just, it just loses like the, the romance, the interest, the characters, everything. And my mom was like, this is so bad. She was like, I think, and I looked it up Apparently when it was released, it's a French movie. When it was uh, released in the U.S., they did a U.S. cut. And uh, it's apparently much better than the original French version, which uh, seems to get like mixed reviews anyhow. But it was it was interesting. It was weird. It was the same thing. It felt like, you know, how they just made it a little more minimal and not so uh, ambitious. It would have been a better movie, which apparently the U.S. cut that my at least my parents saw it was so. That's kind of what happened with The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. There was the American cut and the Italian cut, and it was a big deal when the DVD came out and they were restoring the Italian cut of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. But what they did is they hired, like, 70-year-old Clint Eastwood to dub his voice in the scenes where he's, like, 30. Oh. And um, and then it turned out that the scenes suck. Like, all the extra, all the scenes that were cut were cut for a really good reason. 
there's the the part in um near the beginning of the movie where um Tuco is on the trail of Blondie and he finds like his campfire and then the song kicks in and then you cut to him coming in through the window of uh Eastwood's apartment like the big famous thing where he he sends the guys with the spurs in through the door and he comes out through the window. It's that great cut where you go from him figuring out where Eastwood is right to attacking it. In the Italian cut, there's this extra scene where he's like, Eli Wallach is like hanging out in a cave with a chicken, trying to hire the guys who are going to get killed going in through the door. And it's, first of all, the set is like the worst set in the movie. Like it looks like they shot it on the set of one of those old Hercules movies in the 50s. It's this terrible looking cave set, horribly lit, really artificial feeling. And the dialogue is all this dialogue that Tuco basically repeats in the scene with his brother, which is a better scene about, you know, like where they were from and how you either were like a priest or a bandit, that whole stuff, which is still in the movie elsewhere anyway. And then the two dudes who were introduced just die in like a hot second anyway. And um, of course, the restoration of it is horrible because it's these 70 year old men doing voices in sandwich between scenes where they're 30. I think now they might have finally put I think I heard there's one uh, release that has the U.S. cutback in it, but for probably close to a decade, this was the only cut of the movie, only thing you could get. And I tried, I downloaded like six different, like I, I went on and found all the different, like different country rips of the movie. Cause I was like, I just need to get the one I like. Right. And I, I got like four different DVDs out of the library and like bought three. And like every time it was this stupid horribly restored Italian cut and the American cut was just gone. And it's a shame because it dropped it from like, like when I was in high school, when that version came out, that was probably in like my top 10 movies. Yeah. And the whole trail of trying to get the one I like back. Like, I don't ever think about that movie anymore. Really. When I think about movies that I really like, because I just think about like the quixotic attempt to find it again. Yeah. And it really diminishes the hell out of it. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, you know, this, I don't think we should be, you know, erasing footage forever and not BBC style. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's not good. I, I'm a big fan of hoarding, <laughs> but just, you know, there, there's a, there's a time and place, you know, they could have kept these scenes and had them as extras in the DVD. Yeah, that's the place for them is extras them. for sure. Or yeah. do what they did with uh, Apocalypse Now or with um, Dawn of the Dead, which has like 60 cuts, just throw them all on. Right. Good, the bad, and the ugly. That's a popular movie. People will buy a two-disc version. If you need two discs to fit that crap on there, just, it's fine. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly. People like it. They do it with CDs all the time. You know, how many times have they, like, you know, taken back, like, I know the Elvis, they just released, like, uh, like the freaking New York Symphony does, like, Elvis songs, so it's, like, his voice, but with, like, an entirely orchestrated background. That's weird. So, like, they're selling this as, like, a brand new Elvis album, and it's like, all right, how long has Elvis been dead for since 77? So, like, you know, come on. <laughs> like, what's the point? And then there's, of course, they didn't erase the old Elvis songs. No, you can get, like, 50 versions of the original that's been, you know, reproduced year after year, plus all the outtakes of that version, plus these, you know, new new remastered versions. So, like, why don't they do that with movies? I don't really get it. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And then um, it's a big problem with streaming, because Star Trek, the original series, is gone. Oh, yeah. Gone from the Earth. Perfect example. Yes. The, um, the fucks. <laughs> and to be honest, like, most of them aren't fucks. Like, the people who did this restoration were, it's Man. like Michael Okuda, who did, um, who was like a production designer on Next Generation. Like, it wasn't idiots, but it was just people who were 
whose heart were in the right place and their brain was not. Right. Because basically what happened with Star Trek, and not a lot of people know this until they try to watch it again, mm-hmm. all the streaming services and the Blu-ray and everything, it is not the original series of Star Trek. It's this version where all the special effects have been redone in the mid-2000s with medium-low-budget CGI. Yeah. And it's a twofold problem, because on the one hand, the replaced effects aren't that good, and they're already pretty dated and pretty bad, because it's like low-polygon count CGI. And then on the other hand, I mean, the original stuff that was being replaced, Star Trek was never, the original series, they knew their effects were not going to be photorealistic, so they never went for that. Right, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, like it was not a realist aesthetic. It it was, um, I always say that show is the closest we ever came to filming experimental theater. That those, um, like the Tholian web and and, um, the ship in um, the Corbomite maneuver, that's just that, that cube of colors. A lot of that stuff is replaced now with stuff that looks like Star Trek spaceships. But so many of the effects in the original series were like color effects. It was something would be glowing red or whatever, or or you would have um, like just a glowing color on the monitor and that was your spaceship. And those weren't exactly mistakes. That was the aesthetic of the show. Right. And you've, you've basically created a new show on the back of the old one. And then when you do that, you shoot yourself in the foot because it diminishes the look of the 60s stuff because you can't get into it because you're constantly yeah, reminded of this. you 100% yeah. out of it. You constantly are interrupted with this stuff that looks really different that's pretending to be part of the same story and it's just visually really jarring. And you're wondering what the original one was. Yeah. You're like, this looks bad. It looks terrible. I know it's out of place. Shit, what was there before? Well, you posted that great comparison on Twitter, which I think got like a lot of retweets and faves because... I mean, everybody who is hip to the fact of what they did is like, yeah, this is wrong. Like, if you look at it side by side, you're like, Mm-mm-mm. they didn't do that right. Well, they took all the color out of it. Yeah, yeah you, that- had, you had on one side, you had a, an image that was, you know, saturated reds, blues, yellows, a background with a, it was like a skinny robot alien guy, right? It was like a statue behind them, but yeah. like a skinny robot alien statue. And then on the left, you had like... Seattle is when yeah. someone replied to your to your tweet and said, why did they replace it with Seattle? I was like, that's exactly what it looks yeah, it's just like. An yeah, overcast it's, gray day. It looks like hotel exteriors, basically. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which, I mean, probably is technically more, there's probably, you know, like more pixels in it. So it's more realistic in that way. But well, I mean, I, who wants to go to Star Trek, the original series to see something that looks like a house? Right. Yeah, that's the thing. I hate I hate this like push for realism being somehow better. Yeah. Or being somehow more correct. It's like no. Correct is a great word. They think it's correct. Yeah. The people who do these things, but you don't it doesn't work like that. Right. I mean, and that, what what also kind of blew, blew my mind with Star Trek and then I guess we can move on to movies because this totally applies to movies was how they they did all this correcting, color correcting, changing backgrounds, changing effects. And then, like, you know, restoring this original stuff. But in the process, they really reveal a lot of stuff that wouldn't have been seen on the television because TVs weren't that high def. So, oh, like, yeah, like the makeup. Everyone mm-hmm. is wearing just full eyeshadow, full makeup. And it's it's kind of funny. And it's interesting to watch in that way. Like, I, I kind of like it in a way. because it's, it's like that with Wither- Wizard of Oz. Right. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, with this, it's just Spock and full on purple eyeshadow yeah. all the time and then and they left that <laughs> so it's like it's a little strange you're like okay so we're in a world where like men are w- straight up wearing eyeshadow every <laughs> single day like this is the more realistic star trek for you like i just don't un- i don't understand it 
It's just so strange. Well, it's it's interesting because there's so much stuff that they can't take out of it to make it match their new aesthetic for the show. So like you'll cut to the exterior and it'll be like like they they changed all of the planets because the planets in the original Star Trek never really looked like planets. They all were very stylized. And they changed them also basically they look like like NASA high-res planet footage and all which the is, ships yeah, yeah which is like beautiful in and of itself but it's not the look of the show right so you'll see this like it looks like planet earth you know like this just very very detailed really beautiful very clearly modern planet and they'll cut to inside the ship and the the council on his chair is like three unlabeled red they look like <laughs> like bubblegum buttons right because the look of the show was that it was these like yeah, it like, was and colors like, and spheres and shapes, and it was yeah. people moving around in, you know, shapes that you didn't understand. And it was kind of cool because it created this sense of a future where, like, they know things you don't about, you know, like, the world they're in. Right. You know, it was this subtle way to push it out of your world and into this um, this world that you, where you could accept the aliens where it's always just, like, they're wearing silly clothes and sometimes they have a little makeup if they had an extra budget that day. Right. You can buy all that when it's consistent. When you start making it inconsistent and you start treating it like a mistake instead of an aesthetic. Yeah, it undercuts the entire show. Yeah. And then you're like, why is Spock talking into a rectangle? Yeah. Instead and of- <laughs> your, your quest to preserve the show for a new generation just like targets an element for them to be thrown off by and think was a fuck up. Right. And then laugh at it. Yeah. And I cannot stress this enough. The look of Star Trek, I've, I've read as much as anybody about the creation of that show, the look of that show was not a mistake. It was very, very hip to what was going on in experimental theater in the 60s. And the context of that world, and Batman was doing the same thing, and to a lesser extent, The Prisoner and the last season of Lost in Space, they were all doing the same thing around this like 1967, 1968 time, where you were trying to create an unreality for your characters to live in. You were trying to create this this world of um, panels and color blocks where just foreground elements exist. And it's almost like there's no real backgrounds the way like early Looney Tunes would do that, you know, like when they'd cut to the desert and you'd see the stuff in the foreground and Mm -hmm. everything in the back was very stylized. Yeah. It reminds me too of like Disney world. The it's a small world, right? Has exactly that exact art style who the artist I can't remember, but I can look it up. Yeah, another thing too with like those those Star Trek comparison images is like you see that like it's almost a, a very robotic idea of what saturation levels and contrast, etc., should be at. Because like in order to fit their their gray background aesthetic or whatever, they have to then desaturate the colors on the costumes and everything. So a little oversaturated reds become like muted reds. And like, yes, that's technically correct for it to look right with the background or else it would look just silly. Yeah. But that background something you artificially created. So you're now correcting it so it looks right with your fake thing that you corrected. So it's like you're building it on like a faulty foundation. Yeah. And then what you're doing, and maybe because a lot of the people responsible for it were people who worked on or were enthusiasts of Star Trek The Next Generation is you're turning the original series into the aesthetic of Next Generation. Yeah. Where everything was beige and sort of desaturated. And John hates. I do hate it. But even <laughs> if I didn't hate it, I mean, I wouldn't want anybody to go back and, you know, 
pump the saturation up into next gen and I would put like love to crazy see color blocks on <laughs> the wall or love, anything. Love to see that. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, I, no, I wouldn't exactly. want to. I wouldn't want somebody to turn the aesthetic of a show that's not like that into something surreal. Yeah, but like it's bullshit to do it to Star Trek and to act like it was it was a mistake. Like, imagine if they did that to the prisoner. Oh God! If they decided, like, oh, you know, it's not very realistic that they're riding these uh, old timey bicycles around this village and stuff, and they turned them into like dirt bikes. Well, the great thing about the prisoner is they actually have gorgeous Blu-rays. Like they they did it real good. They just and then Batman too. Batman they did good Blu-rays yeah, for spectacular. Where work. they just I can't speak highly enough of that. Yeah, that prisoner and and Batman. If you want to see some sixties television look as good as it can look without going into the realm of fucking with it. Prisoner and Batman, just get those on Blu-ray. Well, those there are, are the, the Star Trek DVD cases that, that looked like the giant insignias that were red. Red, yeah, blue, the, and yellow. The, yellow. Um, and those, photon torpedo sets. Yeah, and those weren't, those aren't, they're restored, but they weren't yeah. fucked up. Yeah, those, right? those are proper. Yeah, those are fine. I actually don't even know if they were restored. They they don't look particularly good for, D- I mean, they're fine. Right. But they don't look like, you know, like a very high-end DVD even looks like. They're your best bet now, though, sadly. Yeah, yeah they're, I mean... Because I know every episode's on YouTube, but it's definitely the, it's the restored, remastered version. Yeah. I think, which has them now, Hulu or Netflix? Netflix. Netflix, yeah. Oh, Netflix, too? Yeah, I think YouTube still has them, though. Yeah. yeah. Another color correction problem thing was uh, do the right thing. Oh, my God. Because you had... Talk about robotic color correction. Oh, my God. Because you had... Ernest Dickerson did a very deliberate thing along with Spike Lee where he wanted it to look hot. He wanted it to look a little saturated, a little yellowy red, a little orangey. I should have just said orange. I said yellowy red. There is a there is a name for that. It's called orange. A little orangey, a little oversaturated. And it really looks like, um, you know, when you go into Photoshop and you go into the drop down, there's like auto contrast, auto white balance, auto whatever. It really looks like somebody didn't understand that the look of what they were presented with was deliberate. And was You're like, talking about the restoration now. Yeah. Where they, for the Blu-ray, I think it's the universal yeah. Blu-ray that came out. Because the Criterion DVD is actually proper, to my knowledge. Yeah. If, if you're going to watch that movie in any form, basically your only option now is to go back and find the old two-disc Criterion DVD. Yeah, from like 2000, I don't even think maybe. it's in print anymore. Probably yeah. not. And uh, yeah, just avoid that universal 100th anniversary Blu-ray or whatever it is. What's they, funny is I have three copies of that movie because I have the Criterion Blue, the Criterion DVD, I have the Blu-ray on a box set, and I have the DVD on a box set of other Spike Lee movies, and the only one I can watch is the Criterion one. Yeah. Because the other two are that destroyed version of it. Yeah, it's very sad because it, it's supposed to look like the hottest day of the year. It's supposed to look a little surreal. It's one of the only movies I've ever seen that when you watch it, it feels like it's hot out. Yeah. Right. Even Lawrence of Arabia doesn't really feel that hot. No. Because it's that pale blue, it which feels is dusty. soothing. Yeah, it feels dusty, but it doesn't feel hot. Yeah. And you look at that Blu-ray of, of their their shitty robotic, like, I guess technically correct, you know, restoration of it that completely abandons any artistic intent whatsoever. And it's just, it, it isn't does, it Spike Lee approved, but not Ernest Dickerson approved? Yeah, probably. Or the other way around. Yeah. You know, like one of them was involved and the other was aghast at what they did. I'm sure Dickerson wasn't involved because as the DP, I'm sure yeah. he wanted a little orangey. But um, yeah, you look at that, it looks like a different time of year, 
a different time of day. It looks like a chilly winter's morn. Yeah. Is what it looks like. <laughs> it really does not really look does. like a summer day whatsoever. And the thing about it is like the biggest success of that movie outside of, you know, everything else that's so perfect about it was like out of nowhere. It just made you feel like it was hot out. Yeah. It had such like a sensory power that I don't know any other movies that have. It's like how the descent makes you feel claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, the biggest the biggest deal to me is like a, when a movie can make you feel something that's not true of the room you're in. Right. Yeah. And that that movie just a league apart from anything else made you feel it. And it's stripped right from it, right to the ground. I just, I don't get what this, this sort of, you know, why would people want to make a movie, take it out of its time and make it look like it wasn't made in that time? Like there's such a, a benefit to keeping stuff the way it is. Like, okay, maybe that there's a, a better way to make things look warmer now, even though they clearly didn't do it in this restoration. And the old, uh, you know, like the original, it has a filtered look, but that's fine. And it works, as you just said. Because everybody assumes that everybody in the past is a fucking idiot and didn't know what they were doing. I mean, (laughs) look at Greg with the, the, every movie before 75, they were doing it wrong. Well, right. You know, like that, that sort of philosophy, I think is very prevalent in, in the world, but horrifyingly so in the film industry, you know, people, instead of trying to figure out what it is they're trying to do, if it doesn't look like something from now they're assuming it's wrong well that's the case with uh blade runner because they did a blu-ray of blade runner and i think a a special dvd yeah i didn't know about this until you told me yeah we were just talking the other day about this i mean this this appalled me because you look at the so-called best new version of blade runner from like a 4k whatever you assume you're going to be seeing it the best you can possibly see it and you look at the screenshots, I thought that I had looked up the wrong Blade Runner for a second. I thought I had looked up like the Colin Farrell. Bl- oh, no, wait, that was the Total Recall one. You know what I mean? Yeah. I thought I was looking at the Colin Farrell Total Recall and not Blade Runner or whatever, because it has that very modern look to it. It's like he... The contrast and the saturation are way up, and it's all like cold blue instead of warm green blue. Yeah, and tinted, and it, I think it's director approved... Which, uh, it's like, why do we take his opinion so highly? Like, it, it's like, it just because he approved it doesn't mean it's the best it could possibly look. Like, it might just be what he's feeling in that moment, or who knows what was going on. But the point is, you look at it, it doesn't look like the Blade Runner that has looked like Blade Runner for the past, like, 30 years. It looks like this weird, modern movie, which, yes, it, it technically, on the technical level, it's it's stunning that it looks this way but as far as how the movie's supposed to look it it doesn't look like the movie that it was it's a little frustrating because the colors of that movie were so pretty and so unique and very deliberate like and now you in order to see that you gotta go and get like the old dvd like the old two disc blade runner from i would guess like 2000 i would be interested to know what he thought of the like original prints of that movie like if he felt like they were off Mm-hmm. Because um, I know with Aliens, Aliens looks like a new movie now with the remaster of it. But it was the remaster was done, first of all, from the ground up by Cameron, yeah. who invented a new way of grain removal so that you didn't remove all the grain, but you pared it down. Because what happened with Aliens was they shot it on this experimental um, high speed film stock and they really fucked it up. Yeah, which because proved nobody, to be not a good yeah, film stock. Nobody had really used that stock before. And it really, like, it just didn't look good. And it didn't look the way they wanted it to look. So Aliens always had this look of, um, like, everything 
you had no like planar distance in the movie. Mm -hmm. Like everything felt the same distance from everything else because everything, you know, it it was just so muddy. And he went through Cameron and he, and he basically rebuilt the movie from the ground up. And it's as far from the old versions of it as um, Blade Runner is maybe even further, but it's there. And the tool was used because it was needed. Yeah. Because it wasn't, you know, that movie wasn't the movie that they made the movie that had been presented for 30 years. And the result, I mean, the result is incredible. I mean, people always talk about digital noise reduction. That's the DNR that everybody always complains about when they talk about Blu-rays online. Um, In this sense, that was their only option. They had to use DNR, which they use a a highly specialized version of DNR. And then they applied film grain over it. So it didn't look all waxy. And they did that very deliberately and very carefully. But you see a lot of Blu-rays that come out. And when you see them get like low grades on video quality, the DNR was was very robotic and had no care towards how people look. Like with Predator, where everybody looks like plastic and weird. Predator is probably the worst release in the history of Blu-ray. Yeah. There, there was a they look first, like Ken dolls. There was a first release that was very grainy and it's kind of like, all right, well, whatever. And that new release after it, they stripped all the grain and you lose so much of what faces are supposed to look like. It looks like a weird, it's almost like waking life. Like it's that kind of like. It looks like the Final Fantasy movie. Yeah. Yeah. It, it looks, looks like, like the spirits within. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's unwatchable and people are right to complain about it. And that's usually what people are complaining about with Blu-rays. It's either the shitty DNR, which also Big Lebowski suffers from. And I don't know why. A lot of people aren't up in arms about that. The The Blu-ray of, of Big Lebowski is very DNR'd. And credit to uh, DVD Beaver, Gary Twos. That's one of my favorite websites as far as looking up transfers and stuff. He he does really good comparisons. And he was up in arms about the, the Big Lebowski DNR. Because everybody... Like, this is a movie with people with a lot of wrinkles on their faces. Like, a lot of the characters, yeah. a lot of the actors, a lot of wrinkles on their faces. And you watch the Blu-ray and you'd swear... They were like all like 30 years old or less. Well, they had to make them fuckable now. Yeah. And it's like, it's gross. Make Sam Elliott fuckable. Yeah. I got to make Sam Elliott fuckable or else the kids ain't going to watch. I feel like it's like two options. It's like you either have a director who's like Lucas or like, I think Doug Trumbull kind of falls into this is where they get too caught up on the newest special effects that they lose their movie in it. What did Trumbull do it to? Trumbull hasn't, I I don't think that he's gone back and revised stuff, but I just feel like his movies, the failings of his movies are that they're too focused on special effects and he he misses other stuff or like brainstorm with the, how the aspect ratio changes and brainstorm depending on whether or not he's looking, you know, through the brainstorm or not. Oh, that's fun. I like that kind of stuff. But it looks really good in theaters, but it doesn't look good on DVD. And I feel like it would have been jarring in theaters too, to having it changed back and forth all the time well, it got kind uh, of annoying didn't your boy uh wes anderson do that with uh shit yeah he did with uh, yeah. grand budapest hotel yeah i i like grand budapest though because he only it only happened in the beginning and in, in like for five minutes no the, no, he, no no he changed per um it was like per the each period is a different yeah. ratio yeah that. but that was like the introductory 15 minutes no but he, he went from there was a that's not my boy by the way that's cody's boy I'm just no, that's not my boy. I don't Wes like Wes Anderson. He ain't my boy. He's nobody's boy. <laughs> He's nobody's boy anymore. There are very few people that, <laughs> that love all of them. Point being, he goes two thirty five, then to one eighty five, and then he does and then Academy. Academy ratio. Yeah, he yeah. does three different. And does he do one sixty six or? 
Or it's no. either 185 or yeah. 166 for the middle one. But yeah, it's three separate ones. And he keeps I mean, they, they've been doing around. that since, I mean, Abel Gantz did that with Napoleon in 27. Mm. Well, I don't not, mind that kind of stuff. I, I like that sort of experimenting. I just think that's the failings of, of the movies that he's directed, not when he's, you know, working. Like, I, you know, I love 2001. But like, you know, I just like, I find sometimes you get these directors that are. Silent Running had any. I mean, Silent Running is. I is think a that very, just was um, a bad movie. <laughs> it looked, I, it I looked beautiful. I that. It special effects based at all. I mean, there's a lot of special effects in it, but it was too that's based such a on... character movie to me. No, I couldn't. But... I love Silent Running. Silent Running, we were going back and forth just sending screenshots to yeah. each other. That's a beautiful movie, but I, I don't think it's like a tech demo. I mean, it, no. there's so much... Well, I, I, I really think it feel is bad at the end. I really feel for that movie. The lighting in Silent Running, what was it we were saying to each other about how like... It's the closest a film. I, yeah, I, I made the point that it was the closest a film has looked to, you know, when you see like the illustrations of what a scene is going to look like. The concept or, art. Yeah, yeah, it looks like concept art. That movie looks like concept art. It so has exactly strongly. Ralph McQuarrie lighting in some scenes, which yeah. I've like never seen a movie pull off before. It's it's really incredible to see that in in a finished film. It it looks so much like that. Well, yeah. choose your own director for who you think is Mr. Technical. I, I always think of Doug Trumbull when I think of that. But Lucas is the better example of someone who goes back and revises and revises year after year. Oh, I can improve it. I can improve it. I can improve it. You're not improving anything, really. Which, which would be fine if he left the, the paper trail of the old versions. Right. Well, there's that, too. But then I feel like the other type of person are these people that are going back, looking back at these movies and thinking that, Oh, that was a mistake, as you said, and I can I can change it or I can fix it, or they're just straight up looking at it and they're not getting it. Like, which reminds me a lot of art in real life, like the famous uh, Jesus painting that got restored that all oh, of the yeah. internet went crazy about. But I think a, a sort of better uh, example that's a little less like that. That one's just funny. I'm just like, well, that's, that's just literally funny. what happened with Predator. Like I posted a, yeah. a Twitter comparison where it's like that grainy version of Jesus is the original Predator Blu-ray and that like waxy whatever, like swooping the uh, the paints into like a, a weird thing. That's literally the, the next uh, Predator Blu-ray. It is difficult to overstate how bad that, yeah. that movie looks. <laughs> But it, but it reminded me, too, of this article I read in, in the New York Times like a year ago or something about Columbia University. There was apparently this guy who was a like a street artist that always sat outside of Columbia University from like early, like 1930 to like the 80s or something. Or And then he died. And then they basically recently they or he died recently and they, they called all these people back. Hey, did you ever buy this guy's art? Sam Steinberg. That's his name. So they, Columbia, you know, like they reached out to people in, in the community. They said, did you ever buy this guy's art? We want to do an art show for him. They brought all of his artwork back and it's really cool art. I like his artwork. It's weird. It's a little psychedelic, but it's cool. They had an art show for him. At the end of the show, somebody came in to take and dismantle the show and they threw it all out. <laughs> what? Yep. They just threw it out. And this was like artwork that people had bought and owned and was worth money. Why'd they throw it out? They didn't think it was art. They didn't realize what it was and they thought it was trash. So now that this guy who died, half like, of his stuff, did it, look like trash? it didn't that. look like trash. I don't know. Someone who I hope got fired. That's, I that's mean, like somebody a criminal who first act. of all is going to have to pay for all those paintings. Yeah. That's like you sue the person. It is criminal. Like this is here. I'm showing them a photo. Not I that can't you see from there. I mean, I don't even care if the art's any good. Yeah. No, but it looked like artwork. Like it wasn't like they also, but there's also shows too, where you hear about, there was something else I read about. And I think I, I want to say Italy, that it was a room that was just full of like 
empty champagne bottles and like glitter confetti and that was the (laughs) that was the art installation it was called like after the party or something and it's same thing like a cleaning crew came into the museum and started sweeping up well that that's kind of like that one that's (laughs) That's almost almost an art piece of its own yeah (laughs) but i feel like that's kind of what these restoration people are doing and same thing or or the director i don't care if you made the movie that doesn't mean that you always know what the the greatest thing for it is and you also doesn't mean you can go back and burn all the other things that you didn't like once you like release it into the world yeah too late especially if it's like accepted and like a lot of people really like it right you can't start cutting its hands off then yeah you know but I, that's really I, you know and it's, it's a real shame to hear about stuff like you know like do the right thing if like this is what they're they're putting into the the world it's like no you're like throwing shit out you the know? dopiest shit about it is it's all these people who are all up in arms about things being dated and their rationale for everything is oh this is dated that's dated fucking date 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 do they not think their approach will be dated in like 10 years. Yeah, exactly. Especially with CGI shit that moves so fast. Well, that Jabba uh, next to Han Solo yeah, looks awful. I remember yeah, and they have to keep updating it like every five years because... <laughs> I have that VHS of the original update out. and I like, because, you know, it came out and everyone was excited and you bought, I bought it and it was terrible. I remember it looks even like thinking... Who frames Roger Rabbit? Yeah. In the original. Like, it looks like he's playing with a cartoon. Like, they should have left it as that that man, that fat man. They should have kept that guy in there. Or they should have just cut the whole fucking thing out, because yeah. what the fuck? Right. You didn't need that scene. Well, the, the big example of all this is in the 40s, Charlie Chaplin was really self-conscious about his silent work, and he needed some money. So he, like, recut um, the Gold Rush and City Lights and a few of them. And he added a bunch of narration of himself, just like talking about what the what the little tramp is doing and who he's fighting and where he's going. And he released it back into theaters. And it was fine. I mean, I guess people saw it. But in the case of The Gold Rush, until Criterion put that movie out, it was like almost the only version you could get. Yeah. Was this one that was horrendously dated because it was 1940s narration and it was incongruous and it was weird. And it was like a weird thing to do. Much weirder than just having a silent movie. And and the original, you you like almost couldn't get it. You just were stuck with this like bastardized, like kitty version of it with just some doof talking over it 20 years later. And, and then that was it. I mean, people lived and died the course of their movie going life without really having access to the original version again. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing is, uh, you know, a lot of these movies where they go back, oh, if only we had updated the special effects, it would have been a better movie. If only there had been speaking, it would have been a better movie. It never is. I, I just, I'm, I'm the, really the, hard like, pressed. The percentage of movies that's actually true for is like probably like one in a bajillion. Like uh, yeah. the only one I can think of is Damnation Alley. Like Damnation Alley, yeah, they tried some experimental stuff and it didn't work. Fucking sucks. Bummer for them. If, if that one, somebody wanted to go and try to like restore the effects and make it look like they wanted to look like good or like the show, the star lost the one that was all shot on green screen, but they couldn't really do it. Right. Like if something like that, where it's like famously like a disaster because they tried something and it didn't work right. But I just think of movies where like, I can think of plenty of movies where I thought the special effects were a little cheesy, but the movie was good. So it was fine. You know, yeah. like it doesn't ever like never does that break a movie for me at least. Maybe for like some fucking technical nerd somewhere. Oh, it's unwatchable because it's puppets. Like, like, no, it's not like it's, it's a great movie. Go watch the star loss though. And you'll see the other side of this. Yeah, Cause that one is generally genuinely like almost unwatchable. 
because they had an experimental technique and it didn't work. But was there good stuff in there? Like, no, shit anyway. That's what I'm saying. But like, it might have been way less shitty if it worked. And who can say? And in that case, like, if somebody wanted to restore it and present alongside the original this like new version of it where it it looks closer to the original intent then fine that's like kind of an interesting thing to do i just feel like if you take like chomps and you make it a better looking robot dog it's still gonna be a shit movie yeah chomps is pretty bad there there ain't no saving chomps actually you know what what would save chomps is if and if you're wondering what the fuck we're talking about go back to the frank santa padre uh episode and you can hear me talking about chomps but uh, that little interlude, that little music uh, oh, yeah, song, your favorite in, song in Chomps, if they had just plastered that over the entire movie <laughs> on loop, oh, it'd be one of my favorite movies ever made. That's the restoration you need to do. Oh, my God. <laughs> I should do my cut of Chomps where it's just that little music interlude over the entire fucking movie. But uh, before we go to break, John, you got to mention Night of Living Dead. Oh, Lord. Because that's, that's a... Yeah. Of all the ones we've talked about so far... This one is just like laughably bad. This, this restoration. Bananas. For the Is um, that bananas? Bananas? Yeah, it's bananas. Okay. For the 30th anniversary DVD release of Night of the Living Dead in 1998, the original writer of the movie, John Russo, who's very talented, but also like occasionally just doesn't have a good idea in his head. You know, one of those people who like he'll get an idea and sometimes it's just it's not the one to do. He um reshot 15 extra minutes of footage for night of the living dead in 1998 on like a handy cam. And it's just like the background on the guy who dies and the, the first zombie, the, the guy who lurches towards him in the cemetery. It's just like the 15 minute, like life story of him. And then some other stuff about them failing to find a cure for the zombie stuff. And it's, if you want to talk about how stuff you don't think is dated will date immediately Everybody in this thing looks like they just came out of Woodstock 98. Yeah. Like bald goatees, leather jackets with like priest collars because he's playing the priest. Like everybody looks like just 90s trash. And it's sprinkled throughout the course of this movie. And of course, like the writing is horrible and the, the premise is just horrible and the scenes are so stupid. And it was released in like the deluxe edition of the movie, the... um the edition that didn't have anything on it saying there was extra scenes. Exactly. In it. it just said 30th anniversary restored DVD. And it went for, it was like 30 bucks when it came out. It was like the big, like prestige one and everybody got it. And it was like, it was like some dweeb just like invaded your movie. <laughs> it's like if you, some sort of portly guy yeah. from Pittsburgh in the late nineties <laughs> just came in and was like talking about how, I don't know, man, the zombies just keep on coming for like 15 minutes. <laughs> It's like if you taped like a movie that you liked off TV and then you found out like your kid brother, like who wanted to be a filmmaker, decided to like pause it at certain points in the film and then make his like version of Terminator or whatever with like his friends. It's it's like a be, be kind rewind <laughs> watching that that Night of the Living Dead uh, so-called uh, restored version. It's like watching Jack Black and most deaf pretend like they're uh, it's, in RoboCop. It's funny because both have so much, you know, like flavor of time and place. The original is such, you know, like you really feel late 60s and everybody looks yeah. like it and, they, you know, they think like it and they talk like it. Their cadence is all very 60s. And then the new stuff, man, it has just as much flavor. But it's flavor from like the back alleys of Pittsburgh at the turn of the millennium. Like stuff you would buy... 
Stuff you would rent off the bottom shelf in the horror section in Blockbuster in 2003. Yeah. With the covers that clearly like the first AD on the movie just made, you know, and the, and the, the inside DVD was, it, there wasn't even art on it. It was just the title. Yeah. Like it, it, it felt like a low budget horror movie that just got interrupted by another very different, much worse low budget horror movie. <laughs> it's like peanut butter and like fish. Yeah, please look up those screenshots if you're listening. It, it's it's you can see the whole the extra footage. Somebody put it all up on YouTube. You can just watch. Oh, there you the, go. Uh, please watch it. All right, we're gonna be back in a few, and we have a uh, giveaway actually. So uh, stick around for that. See you soon. Hello, Smug Film fans. Did you know that Smug Film now has a voicemail box? Just call the following phone number. Seven one eight three nine five nine seven one one, and leave a question or a comment about the show along with your name, and we may play it on a future episode. Thank you for listening, and now back to the show. And now, Chloe Peltier reviewing a movie she's seen parts of while working at the theater. I feel like people have been expecting more out of Krampus than they've been getting and have been expecting less out of the night before than they got. They're both pretty unconventional Christmas movies. Despite that, they both have a kind of underlying message of don't take the people in your life for granted. But I feel like Krampus tries really, really hard. Like, it looks like they worked really hard on this movie. The effects and the color correction are really deliberate. But I don't know. Despite that, and despite the the timing and everything like it's like when you watch this movie you can see the storyboards i don't know if that makes any sense but it's like you can see everything looks very planned out at least that's how it comes off to me just working this film and it's like almost too planned out it's like to the point where it just doesn't feel convincing and i know that it's a movie about krampus so like why would we need it to be but i feel like they were almost like riding on that like the weirdness of that and they thought that would be enough and they just like played with that a lot. But it's like the performances of the actors feel weird. They don't feel like real people. And I don't know, it just doesn't grip me. Whereas the night before, I've worked it a few times. And every time I've come out of it either laughing my ass off or feeling sentimental towards the characters. And I don't think people expected to feel sentimental towards them. I think they were just like, oh, this is going to be funny and that's it. And so it, it it delivers more than you expect for it to deliver. I don't know. It just going into it, like working it, I want to see that movie still. Like, And if I work something several times and still want to see it, that says a lot for the film because most of the time I work it a few times, like maybe even one or two times, and I'm like, nah, I don't need this in my life. Um, but this one, I'm like, all right, I could do that. Krampus, I've worked it a couple times, and I'm like, nah, don't really need that in my life. Thanks, Chloe. And now, back to the show. Welcome back. All right, so we're doing a little giveaway. We had some fans contact us with their book, A Brain is for Eating, which is a kid's book about uh, zombies, and it's kind of like an instructional thing for like if you're a kid zombie, what you should do and whatnot. It's pretty cool. It's by Dan and Amelia Jacobs, and it's illustrated by Scott Brundage. And we're giving away a copy of this because we think this will be a fun thing. If you got like a, uh, you know, a kid that's into horror stuff, this would be a good Christmas present or something. You know, it's it's not necessarily, 
you know, a young kid's book. Like I'm, I'm just flipping through it right now. There's a lot of uh, dismembered parts and there's buckets of blood and there's brains and whatnot. So it's for the kind of kid who's a little bit too old for kids books, but isn't really in the mood for, uh, you know, long books. So yeah, if you like, uh, if you like go to fuck to sleep and those other ones, it's kind of like that where it's kind of like a kid's book parody, but, uh, you know, it's, for adults to read or kids or whatever, I just think it'd be a good holiday gift this year if you uh, want to win this thing. So basically, just call into our voicemail. Just leave us a good, whether it's a holiday question, a zombie question, whatever. And if we use it on the show, if we like it, we are going to send you this book in the mail. And uh, so be sure to leave your name and your email when you call up or something so that we can contact you. We'll cut that out when we play your question. But call uh, 718-395-9711. Leave us your question. If we like it, if we use it, we're sending you this book. And by the way, plug in our sponsors, Bobby Slow. Ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about at Bobby Slow. Yeah, at Bobby Slow. This is Jay Brunner, right? Jay Bartholomew Brunner. Sponsor of the show. Sponsor of our show. Very muscular. Wonderful guy. Mm. Lives in Ohio. I don't know if that's a spoiler, but he does. Let's give it. Let's do a tweet. Here's some tweets at to, Bobby Slow Follow to spice him. it up for you guys because yeah. this guy is a good guy. He went to Patreon.com/smugfilm. That's right. And donated, which is why we get to talk about how handsome and attractive he is, and how all uh, smart women should date him. Beautiful man. Here's one of his tweets: Wet roads this morning. Wet cars too. Cancel each other out. No need to drive safe out there. Have at it. All right. So follow that man. He's got, he's got a great ratio. I mentioned this a lot. I'm very impressed by his ratio. He is only following like 200 people. He's got like 1,000 followers. That's a damn fine Twitter ratio, and uh, you should check him out. Also, of course, minor key games. David and Kyle Pittman make some great games. I play them. I enjoy them. I rarely enjoy new video games. Super win the game I was obsessed with. Neon Struct is a lot of fun. Have you played them yet, Jenna? Nope, still don't have anything that can play them on. Have you played them, John? No, I don't have anything I can play them on either. You guys have but computers? I still love those guys. You guys got computers? Maybe. You can play them on your computer. Really? Yeah. Well. Hey, you just go on your computer and you play them. It's a computer game. What the hell is a computer? It's um, it's the thing with the... um. What do you got? You got a keyboard. You got a mouse sometimes. And you got a screen. Any of this... This is a calculator with a... Mouse next it's like is this a, a mouse using a calculator? It's like a very big calculator and it's got lots of cords. I've never fucking heard of this thing. Anyway, that's what you play the games on, and you guys should play the games. They're really good. Go to minorkeygames.com, check them out. Also, Room Full of Spoons, guys. Rick Harper's movie, roomfullofspoons.com. That's a documentary on the room. What's our ETA on that thing? I don't know. See, I've been asking the fans. I'm like, go to the website. And you tell me when it's coming out. You and know? they won't call. I'm trying to outsource my Googling. I'm trying to be like, hey, check out the website. You call in. You tell me when it's coming out and I'll play it on the show. And nobody's done that yet. So please, if you're listening, go to roomfullspoons.com. Determine when it's coming out. Leave us a voicemail. We'll play it for our plug section for Roomful of Spoons. So those are our sponsors. They are helping us out on patreon.com slash smugfilm. We actually have a new goal on uh, patreon.com slash smugfilm. We reached our goal as far as breaking even on like technical costs and upkeep and like domain name costs and whatever. We're basically, we're at zero right now. We've raised like 
$53, I think it is. We are at zero, which is fucking amazing, which is great. But we want to bump it up. We're trying to get to like 130, I think it is, because if we can get to that, there's this thing called Movie Pass. And if we can get to that, all three of us can get these Movie Pass thingies. And uh, you can go to moviepass.com to find out what this is, by the way. But if we all have that, we can go see any movie we want that comes out for for free, basically. And that means we got we can actually talk about newer movies more often because we're all in New York City. Movies cost an arm and a leg to go to. Cost like 13 bucks, 15 bucks, whatever. So we can't... Yeah, 13 if you're lucky. 13 if you're really lucky. I paid 18 bucks for Creed the other day. Oh my God. It was worth it. You liked it? I loved Creed. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. But uh, we can't be shelling out 18 bucks like a couple times a week to see movies. But this way we can because it's all going to be free because you guys are paying for us to be able to see movies, talk about movies. We'll be able to write about them on the site more often. Like the only movies I've been writing about on the site is, is stuff I've been seeing for free. You know, I, I, I saw the night before that was like a free screening. So I could go to that this way. We can talk about movies more, write about them more. So uh, help us get to one thirty. That's our, that's our golden amount that will enable us to, give you way, way, way more content. Because if the three of us are seeing like damn near every movie that comes out, I mean, that's uh, that would be incredible. I mean, it would be like the the old days on the site again, when we used to pump out reviews like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I mean, we were like machines in, in 2013. Stop Jenna turning to piracy. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Stop, stop Jenna's piracy habits. Her slide into treacherous you heard her before on I the made episode one comment about she was one so casual about 70s it she was like oh yeah movie no you know what i might have rented it get rid of our hard drive full of x264 rips yeah cam rips Damn. let's let's aim for not 130 let's aim for like 140 and if we get to 140 we can buy ten dollars worth of like party city pirate like costume <laughs> stuff for jenna <laughs> because jenna's a little pirate damn Buy her like a bandana and an eye patch and a and a hook arm. I'll happily wear that. Yeah, I don't have any problem with that. Because you're a thief and a liar. <laughs> Actually, you're not you're a liar. A liar uh, and a fink. No, you're you're just a thief. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I threw liar in it. It just usually comes after thief. Usually, pirate liar liar or the movie to catch a thief. Where the movie thief, Michael Mann. Or the movie thief. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't fault you for pirating Thief, the Michael Mann film. Hey, I, guys, pay, I wouldn't fault you for pirating any of those. Yeah. Those are fine films. I pay for Netflix and Amazon Prime. Whatever you have to do to, to look at yourself in the mirror and not hate yourself. <laughs> you know, whatever. But uh, Jesus. So, you know, hopefully we get to that 130. That'd be really awesome, guys. All right. So we got a voicemail for you guys. This one's from Kyle. Let's hear what he has to say. Hey, how about our films catering to the public's lack of attention span? Or does the fact that reading seems to be at a low, is that affecting the way movies are made? Anyway, I'm, I'm driving, that's why I can't text you. All right, please don't please don't drive while you're uh, calling the Smug Film Podcast. That's not, a, that's not a safe thing to do. We don't want to be responsible for uh, your death or anything. But uh, thank you, Kyle, for your question. What if they're driving in the movie theater? If you're going to the movie theater... Don't talk to us while you're driving there and don't don't call while you're watching the movie. You know, we what if they're calling on the way back because they just saw something really interesting. That would be the perfect time to call the Smug Film Podcast. 718-395-9711. Yeah. Dr- while you're coming back from the movie, 
you know, get those last words out there of your thoughts of the movie. And then if you die, it's kind of okay. Yeah. Call about Creed, everybody. Yeah. You fuckers. Call about Creed. You love Creed, huh? Love Creed. Second best of the whole series, I think. Right after uh, five? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Kyle, Kyle's question, dumbing down of uh, what's going on here? Jenna, what was it? I think the problem is it's like a glass half empty, half full situation, you know, because even though there's all these like golden ages of cinema, when you really go back to those golden ages, there's always a good amount of shit that no one talks about. Yeah. Time is the crap filter. Right. So, I mean, is like right now the, the number one best time for movies time will tell. Right. You know, I don't know that I, I'm, I'm not terribly in love with the newer movies as much as I'm in love with older movies myself, but that doesn't mean that I think all new movies are shit, but like, I'm trying, I guess maybe what he's saying is that like, you know, he feels like we're in that, a very formulaic movie time right now, Mm -hmm. which I don't really agree with. I mean, especially, I don't know. I feel like it comes in waves, you know, like the fifties was full of a bunch of formulaic shit. And then it, in the sixties and then, you know, it kind of filtered out. I thought the seventies, at least the movies that are now remembered are really great movies, but there's still a lot of 64 was the year it changed. Yeah. 64 was the year they said, fuck the production code. Yeah. And then that was the end of the... The formula. And then, you know, and then it slid right back in the 80s and then... Because of Reagan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I 100% believe that, actually. But then, like, you know, so now, I don't know, it's like, does it kind of bums me out. And I think we've talked about this before, that when movies that, like, these huge blockbusters that are are getting more attention uh, now than they probably really deserve, or like we were talking about even last episode uh, with Brad about movies that, you know, there's this massive, massive hype and then it comes out and two months later, no one remembers it. Right. So, I mean, in that respect, yeah, I kind of feel like there is, you know, that, I mean, that exists and it's kind of getting, it's getting more attention, I think, naturally because we have more ways to talk about it now. Yeah, that's uh, used to. that's what I was going to bring up is I think people are talking about it more and it seems like it's it's way easier to to voice your opinion about shit just because of the internet and just because of social media and everything that you're going to see the outrage more than if you, if you go back and try and look up the outrage of like a sixties film, you're really, your only sources are like, if, if there were a couple critics that really railed on something and you can even find their reviews in full, because sometimes you can't even find like the reviews in full or whatever, then you can kind of gauge what like, the public was feeling about something, but there wasn't really like a nervous system for the public yet. Like there is now where, you know, when a trailer comes out and you see like, the, Oh, it was so, so shitty or, Oh, it was so great. And you see, you can literally go through thousands and thousands and thousands of like real time reactions to these things. It's like this overload of uh, reaction and opinion that just wasn't there in the past. So I think in retrospect, when you look back, it, it can almost seem like, even that there was even an apathy as far as movies, but there, there obviously wasn't. It's just that we're so keyed into hearing what everyone has to, has to say about something so fast nowadays. We watch more and we think less, I think. Yeah. But I don't think that's a good point. I don't think the movies are any worse. I think actually movies are in really good shape right now. I think it's on the fault of the viewers and on us too. I mean, how many, now I'm thinking about it. I mean, how many episodes have we done and we've never really talked about like, I mean, we've never really talked about stuff like Locke or Ida or Force Majeure or uh, A Field in England. The year's almost done and we haven't talked about Heaven Knows What or 71 or like this. There's so much stuff or even like 
you know, whiplash or, or smaller scale stuff like Camp X-Ray. Or I actually weirdly thought the last Trailer Park Boys movie was brilliant and in no way formulaic. What's that one called? Uh, Don't Legalize It. That, was that good. one is, yeah, just a wonderful movie. And stuff like even uh, Beasts of No Nation. I mean, there's so much stuff now that's challenging and smart. And um, I, I mean, I wouldn't be calling anything a golden age because I don't think you can call anything that, you know, until after it's done. But I don't, I don't look at the state of movies and see it's any stupider now than it ever has been. I think that the the AAA stuff has gotten bigger and probably worse. But I mean, maybe just worse because it's more in your face about it. I feel like you, you see it more in television, uh, you know, the sort of idea that, you know, as you mentioned, like, oh, the reading level is down. I feel like the, the sort of fast paced dumbing down TV is was more prevalent than, than movies for me. I don't think that really at all. I mean, I think TV writing, so is, much TV writing is shockingly good now. Well, that for when it's good, it's great. That's the thing. But there's just so much of it that it just, there's just no way that it can all be fantastic. No, but that I mean, that's never ever been the case even exactly. in what i That's, would call that was the other point is that like you know there is more of it now so that might seem like there's this this bigger you know pile of yeah. shit but it's the same amount i feel like it's the same ratio I, w- I would say the golden years of television writing for me were the the end of the 50s and the early 60s when you had actual playwrights who were writing episodes of single shows so you had like naked right. city and the defenders i think is one of the best written shows ever and twilight zone and route 66 and all this stuff that's just stunningly well written and like even at that time i mean gilligan's island was on right you yeah. know like there there was no shortage of shit right exactly and like there are real problems in in film that with you know it's very hard to get a medium budget movie off the ground i think screenwriters are underpaid and undervalued now but the effect i think is, is almost that the the workflow is less, not that the product is worse. Like, I don't think movies are any worse now. I just think there are fewer movies of interest now. You know what I mean? Like, just because they don't churn them out at the same pace. But the the stuff that's out there that's worth discussing, I think, is as, as good as anything that's ever been made. And I don't think it's any dumber or, or anything like that. Yeah, and like I don't the- think literacy rate affects your films either. I mean, it's a whole different skill set. It's Films are about emotional intelligence most of the time the natural inclination you know when you see shitty things coming out is to and when you're bombarded with it too like and i'm not just saying advertisements i'm also saying by your friends and shit like that when everybody's hyped up about some big superhero movie and you're kind of just like i don't really care like it can trick you into thinking there's not a lot of great stuff out there and also a lot of great stuff that we haven't even heard about you know we're, yeah. we're hearing about the stuff with distribution. We're hearing about uh, the stuff where there's there's somebody pushing for us to know about it. You know? Yeah, yeah. There's so much money in marketing now. Yeah, so much. I and mean, it's and these, all, it all the falls budgets on, keep going up and up. It all falls on marketing. I mean, there was that great Max Landis uh, thing that he did with Red Letter Media, which I think oh, I mean, God. their their interview there's a with combination him, of words that really hurts me. <laughs> their interview with Red with uh, Max Landis. They're horrible interviewers, Mike and uh, the other guy. They, they're really just, they, they don't ask practically anything. And my, Max Landis is basically having to interview himself the entire time because they're just fucking, they're, they're barely even there because they they feel like too cool to be sitting down with the guy who wrote like American Ultra or whatever. But he says some great things where like people have this conception that 
oh, if a movie doesn't do well, oh, the script was bad or like the direction was bad, the editing was bad, this, that, and the other. But like all of that does not factor whatsoever into how well a movie does. What determines how well a movie does is really marketing budget nowadays. American Ultra could have... I would argue there's an element of dumb luck to it too. Yeah, and, and absolutely, dumb luck too. Like the formulas aren't perfect whatsoever. But American Ultra didn't have any money for marketing and it was marketed very lazily as a stoner comedy when I just watched it last night. I think it's a pretty good movie. I'd give it like three and a half out of five. I think it's got a lot of good things in it, but it's absolutely nothing like how it was marketed. It's not a stoner comedy. The two main characters happen to like smoke a joint in the first act simply because they're 20 something year olds in like 2015 and chances are they smoke weed recreationally from time to time. They're not stoner people. And it was it was totally billed incorrectly. And then that's why you get a lot of bad reviews, I think. I mean, pe- it, people feel bait and switch. If they, if they plop down 13 bucks for a stoner comedy and they see something that's very sensitive and very philosophical about relationships, they're going to be like, well, that wasn't funny, so it was bad. But it's right. not that it wasn't funny. It's not that it was a accidental, bad, shitty comedy. It was just a completely different film. It's like if I sat you down in front of like Casablanca and I was like, this movie's funny as hell. This is the funniest movie I ever saw in my entire life. You can be like, well, that was a real, that was like the worst comedy I've ever seen. It is pretty funny though. It's got I mean, some that's funny That's a pretty parts, funny movie. But it ain't the best comedy ever. And it ain't a straight up laugh fest. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, you know, well, I, I think I brought up Spy before which I really, really loved. And I don't think it did I'm really poorly, glad you liked that. Spy was a big, big it, hit. Yeah, but it, but it was marketed terribly. And I'm glad yeah. it was a big hit because I think of the, it, was, it was a big hit because of uh, the writer, producer, actors, you know, but it was- And just, the reviews were good. I mean, The reviews really, were good. Yeah. But just the, the, for me, I didn't even see it in theaters and I, I regret that because just the posters were terrible. The mm-hmm. commercials, the trailer yeah. was terrible. It yeah, just it was looked, all like based on the back end of that movie, which was too long in the worst part anyway. Well, no, it was just based on like the fact that like she's fat and she shouldn't be there, which is the whole yeah. complete opposite of what <laughs> that movie t- was about. That's exactly the tagline that I would have <laughs> assumed for that movie. Yeah, like, but she's right. It's it's a total, total inversion the of that shit. She's the only straight man in the whole movie. And the whole point is that all these people, you know, judging yeah. her in this way and you're like and it looked like they just got a bunch of marketing people that didn't bother and they yeah, were it like, like ah, Paul some, Blart. exactly it and did it just, look like Paul Blart it yeah. looked terrible and it was so funny and it was so good and it was one of the best damn movies so it was a little too long though I have to say I liked it yeah I think the, the the last 20 minutes I was like all right let's yeah let's, let's bring the funny stuff back yes. I also think honestly and uh you know and this is maybe where the the smug of smug film comes in for me personally is that I you know I think a lot of now, as you said earlier, that now the the public has a really clearer voice, you know, like we all have this way to come out and leave crappy comments. And I think a lot of people just are a very average taste, you know, and so like, <laughs> and you know, it's very honest, average taste. Holy shit. It's I mean, I'm, you know, this is I'm not, I'm not going to win any make any friends saying this, but. It's like not to say that like the public is is stupid. I don't think the public's stupid, but the trash fuckers. It's just that there is a lot of like you know people sort of expect some mediocre stuff, and like I don't know, like sewer rats when we burrowing were around <laughs> talking about Star Wars, pulling little Netflix DVDs of of fucking uh, what's a bad movie? Throw me a bad movie. When we were talking about Star Wars with um, Harry Brewis, Star Wars seven, six, two, pulling their Star Wars sixes out of their their little. 
hutches and throwing them on the TV and their little rat faces watching their trash movies. <laughs> I used to have vomiting on themselves. Big, big fan of rats. But um, Harry Bruce was talking about, you know, all these Star Wars people that, that come in and they hate the film, but they love the universe and they yeah. have this crazy obsessive way of like, you know, my new thing eating for Colin... the entire film and destroying it, you know, and it's like, that's it. You're not getting it. You know, like my I new just... thing, by the way, is call them Star Warsos. I'm like way into this, like big Star Wars fans. It it feels real good. Like the Star Warsos out there are going nuts. It's like a bozo, but Warzo. It just, I don't know why. It just feels good to say. I think it's like a bozo, but they are bozos. They're they're just ruining good stuff. And like, but they have this crazy voice because there's this mass amount of people. So it's like, yeah, it it, it becomes like an echo chamber thing too. They like reinforce each other. You know, so that, that just sucks. You know, I think that's kind of like what we're dealing with right now in general, but not that that hasn't always been there and not that everyone was so much more enlightened in the seventies. They certainly weren't, even though I liked all of the, the good movies that rose to the top that came out of that decade. But ultimately though, I I've always thought, and I think I've said this a few more times. If you think there are no good movies coming out, it probably just means you have to change your viewing habits. Yeah. Right. Cause like, it probably means there's like a log jam somewhere along the way. Cause there's a tremendous amount of really good movies now. I mean, like, who thought Monsters Dark Continent was going to be such, like, a rewarding yeah, watch? That was a hell of a movie. And and there's, and there's Spy. And, I mean, there's, there's just so much stuff out there that really is, you know, future classics. You just got to, uh, yeah, well, you got to get to where it is. And if, if it you, feels like it's been a long time since you've seen one, you probably have to, like, examine your process. If you're hanging around on Netflix and you're looking for something to watch and you see Monsters Dark Continent has gotten one star then you're not going to watch it and you're going to go for something with like four or five stars and then you're going to be like, well, that wasn't that great. But you're not going to then recorrect and recalibrate and think, oh, maybe I should try that one star thing and maybe I'll really like it. It's like everybody's avoiding certain movies like The Plague. Like if I, yeah, it's 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 like they live trying to get somebody to put the glasses on for me to get somebody to watch Monsters Dark Continent. And the reason the past seems like there were better movies is because somebody already did all that legwork yes. for you. Bingo. I mean, in the 40s, all the people yep. out there avoiding that would not be going to watch, you know, Detour. Yeah. Like, or, like Night um, of the Hunter in the 50s. You know, yeah. Like, that didn't fuck. like, you know what I do actually to to uh, get around that is when movies get bad reviews or just are they get good reviews, I tend to read all the bad reviews mm-hmm. because I really want to see what was bad about it. And half of the time you see these bad reviews that even Rotten Tomatoes will say, oh, like they'll it'll be like in between and they give it a squished tomato instead of a ripe tomato. Yeah. And the review isn't even a bad review, but it's just not like a, a glowing review. And so like, I, I love reading all the bad reviews and seeing like, well, what don't people like about this and realizing what do like the star Wars. those think. Yeah. It's kind of like same thing with Yelp <laughs> is <laughs> yeah, that you, you gotta read, read the bad the reviews thing. and then people are like one star and they're like, well, I showed up and, uh, you know, oh my God, they didn't look at me. They didn't make eye contact with me every single time that, you know, yeah. they served me. And then like the check came when I asked for it, but they didn't give it with enough flourish. And then you're like, fuck this person. <laughs> like they don't know what they're talking about. In yeah. fairness, if people aren't giving me checks with flourish, I don't even <laughs> want to deal with them or their establishment. You know, it's like, there's a lot of, it's not co- are- if it's not coming on a plate of silver that they open it, <laughs> then I don't want any, I'm not paying it. People are really like, they have weird, they, they, a lot of them, they put too much of themselves into their, you know, opinions as you do as an opinion. But, you know, you can see whether or not you even agree with that line of thinking. Yeah. And it's the same thing with movies. It's the same thing with music. It's like, 
do I even agree with what they disagree with? You know? Well, that's why I hate when some of these like, Oh, I heard that movie is bad. It got all these bad reviews. And that's, that's the end of their thought on it. They're just like, Oh, it got bad reviews. Therefore it's bad. And it's like, no, you have to actually look what the complaints were. And that's really the case. That's really the case with American ultra where you look at the bad reviews for it and everyone's like, wasn't funny. Like that's really what it all boils down to is like all those reviews are like, eh, they kind of bobbled that one. It wasn't funny enough. And it's like, it was never a comedy. People told you it was a comedy. They were wrong. They were marketers that were talking on their ass because they, they had this movie that they had no budget to market whatsoever. So they were figured, all right, just fuck it. Let's lowest common denominator this and like hope for the best. And it, it backfired. It was a total gamble and it backfired. And the same thing too, is that when you find, go up and look at movies that you really love, find review, good reviews for those movies that you agree with, you know, make sure that you agree with those reviews and then see what else that per, that critics reviewed Yeah, and see what they like. And that's a good, great place to, to, you know, start off with, especially with newer stuff coming out. All right. So, uh, any, any final thoughts? We're going to wrap it up here. Guys, uh, you guys see anything? You saw Creed. You like Creed a lot, right? Yeah, I love Creed. First of all, it's beautiful. Yeah. And the acting's great. It's the one that feels most like the first movie mm. where you really feel like you're in like a real place and like there's a lot of stuff happening like in the background. You know, like everybody in the movie feels like they have a life. They're not nice. all just orbiting Rocky. Because that was the best part of that first movie. You know, like you felt like you were like in this real time in this place and everybody had something going on. Oh, yeah. Are you hoping for a Creed 2? I would go see it because yeah. I really like the director and I really like Michael B. Jordan and everything. But I mean, it's it's hard to imagine them doing a Creed two without just doing Rocky two again, and then you know, then they'll do Rocky three again, and then they'll do Rocky four again, and then they'll do Rocky five again. And I don't know if I want that whole thing. Yeah, you again. don't want you don't need six Creeds. Uh, Jenna, you see anything lately? Did I mention I was rewatching all the Bond movies or watching? I haven't seen all of them. No, you didn't. Which one are you up to? Thunderball was the last one I saw, which was the fucking best one so far. Thunderball is a lot of fun. <laughs> because it is the craziest movie. Number one, Austin Powers is really accurate. Like yeah. I've, I've always understood. That's the thing about when you go back to the Connery ones and then you see Austin Powers again. Man, it is. Yeah. Whew. Like, I got it. Like, I love the first Austin Powers is amazing. Love that movie. And like watching it without having seen every Bond movie, I was like, nope, get it. Totally great. Love, love it. And then you watch the first five minutes of Thunderball where he like beats the shit out of an old woman who's actually a man and then gets (laughs) in like a jetpack and flies out of the mansion. And you're like, oh my God. Did you get to um, You Only Live Twice yet? That's the next one, I think. Oh man, that is like the most Austin Powers-y of them. Really? I think you're really going to like that I'm excited. Doesn't Roll Dahl write that? Yeah, I think so. Like yeah, 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 yeah. The middle is a little weird. I'm not gonna lie to you. There's a slump. There's, yeah. You'll have you'll have time to make popcorn for like 15 <laughs> minutes in the middle, but it really picks up again at the end. Yeah, roll doll, roll that one. I forgot all about that. Yeah, it's yeah. funny. I'm like a sort of. I've never really cared about Bond that much. Like he's fine, you know. Like I think actually I saw Skyfall on a whim. I hated Casino Royale with uh, Daniel Craig. Who I hates hated Casino it. Royale? Because you know what? I don't give a shit. I don't know how to play cards and I don't care about it. They and like, explain the like, game like 70 times. No, the mo- Like totally half the don't. movie is them just explaining that game. No, I don't understand any of it. I felt like there was a good half hour where I was just looking at my watch because I couldn't stand it. To be honest, I would have liked more of him killing people in bathrooms in that movie anyway. Exactly. I really like Skyfall though. And then the new one had come out and I haven't actually, I was going to go I saw see it, it. I saw it last week. Is it good? Did I forget to mention this? Awful. 
Oh, yeah. really? Awful. I That's heard what I'm that it's as bad as Die Another Day in its own way. Ooh. It's actually, you want to this talk about weird. movies that are crushed by their formula? That fucking movie, Sep- Spectre is like the script was just cobbled from trailers from different movies. Mm. Like it didn't, suddenly I get what Greg was talking about when he said some movies are just footage. Right. Like it, it was not, there was no through line. There was no movie. It was just dark portents and like scenes that did not line up with the one before. It was like, it was like if Antonioni did a Bond. Oh, Jesus. Just a bad combo. Just two elements that do not go together well at all. Yeah, that's I gross. heard that it, it was, was actually horrible. like more, more Connery-like. That's not true? No. I mean... I heard that it was more campy. In the sense... No, I don't think it was campy at all. Who told you that? A friend. <laughs> I didn't feel campy at all. It reminded me of... Um, that's what encouraged never me. Never Say Never Again, which was a piece of shit. Uh-huh. Um, I've, uh, Skyfall was... Actually, the Connery ones or the the um, Craig ones in general all remind me of the George Lazenby one. I think they're all sort of the yeah. the successors to On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which I love. And this one, it just it felt like the the closest movie I think com- to compare it to is Star Trek Into Darkness, where it felt like they had the sudden success with Skyfall that they kind of weren't expecting, and then they like over-engineered why they thought that movie did well. Right. And they made the complete opposite of it. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's like Casino Royale was pretty good. And then Quantum of Solace was pretty bad. And then Skyfall yeah, was pretty good. Yeah, and Quantum of Solace, at, in its defense, Quantum of Solace was better this one. And in its Ouch. defense, it had the writer's strike to blame for it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Quantum was bad because basically they weren't, they were contractually not allowed to have a script. Yeah. And it managed to be better than this one. Wow. This was... It probably wasn't the worst of the Bonds, but it was bad in a way I've never seen them be bad before. Oof. It, it felt like a fan film. Yikes. Yeah, that's a... Uh... Well, I'm working my way up to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you only have, what, like 20 to go? Yeah, I, I don't know if I'll ever see that one, to be honest. I I'm, I've tend to avoid the really bad Bonds. I'll wh- say this, it's like beautifully the- shot and the music is great. Yeah. I'm almost tempted when the Blu-ray comes out to buy it and do a fan edit where I recut it as a silent film. Because hmm. the script was so bad, but like the settings are really nice. Maybe you can make a nice silent movie out of it. I, I'm liking the campier ones. I think that's what I don't like about Craig. I don't like when he's too serious. Well, you're liking the campier ones because you're watching the Connery campier ones. When you get to the campier Roger Moore ones, yeah, that might change. Oh, I heard they get really fucking nuts. They get very bad. Sounds great. They get. I'm I mean, Live and Let it. Die is like that movie. Look, I'm really. If disappointed. you could make a movie illegal, I would probably make it illegal. <laughs> To live and let die to be there. I'm really excited for that. It has the best song. Well, it actually, it really does. Yeah, it has absolutely yeah. the best song. I'm, I'm really disappointed in Goldfinger because there was only one motherfucking girl who they turned gold for no reason. I'm like, I really thought <laughs> that he like would turn people into yeah. gold. I'm really disappointed. That's a shame that you, uh, you didn't like that one. Goldfinger, right. I think, it is the most fine. interesting. Goldfinger, Here's- you can see, was a huge inspiration on Spielberg. By the way, there's so many little things Spielberg did that were in Goldfinger. Like when they're driving to Fort Knox and all the animals are knocked out, that went right into Close Encounters when they're driving to Devil's Tower. I do like that they go to Fort Knox. The fight with Oddjob is like beat for beat the fight with the big bald guy on the plane Mm. in uh, the first Indiana Jones. Yeah. Like it's not my favorite, but I I think it's really interesting because there's all these little things that you can see were like huge inspirations on Spielberg. The best part of Goldfinger is where he has Bond strapped to that uh, laser. Yeah, the laser table. And Bond's like... He's like, all right, now you die, Mr. Bond. And he's like, but I have information you want. He's like, nope, don't give a shit and walks out. Yeah. That was the best part. And then Bond and then Connery's like sweating on the table with this laser, like about to cut him in half. 
I like that. That's, I had good yeah. moments. It was okay. I, I didn't hate it. No, I haven't hated any of them so far. I like Dr. No and I liked Thunderball because it was fucking insane. See, Dr. No, I think is a little slow for me. Dr. No is great. There's some stuff in Dr. No I really like. Like I like the, um, I like the bits where he's combing. Is it in Dr. No where he's combing his hotel room for bugs? He's like turning over the lamp and everything oh, to make yeah, sure there's yeah. no microphones. The, yeah. I like that a lot. That's yeah. an element I think all the other movies were missing. They, some of them have. Well, from Russia with Love, I didn't actually. That, that that's one, my favorite. See, that's been my least favorite so far. That's my favorite because Robert Shaw and the fight on the train, I think, is the best fight in all the movies. That's See, I really liked Robert Shaw. I, lo- I love that he had that like accent that you just did not expect. Yeah. And he was he was a great actor in it. I just didn't care. I don't. It was a little. It wasn't campy enough for me. Like I wanted it to be fun, and it was more serious. And that's what's cool about the Bond movies. Like there's so many of them that your your favorites are like almost a personality test. Yeah. But I do not think you're gonna like the Roger Moore ones. I'm very excited. Nobody likes the Roger Moore ones. Well, I'm eager to hear what her, her thoughts are on the rest of them. Yeah, so, me too. Uh, keep us abreast, Jenna. All right, I'll keep watching them. Yeah. All right. So wait, rank them now. You got yeah. what are you, like six right eights now? here. Yeah. I um, I have to pull up the list of them. Well, your I mean, favorite I think, was Thunderball. I think right? Thunderball, Doctor No, uh, I guess Goldfinger and Russia with Love. Like, oh was, wow, was, you're only four in. Yeah, I guess it was only four. I like it was. It's been very. Where does, I'm very where does casually Skyfall doing fit on this. that list? I'd have to see Skyfall. I have to rewatch. I saw it in theaters. I remember really liking it. I remember it was fun. I guess I'd like. I would it's say so it was better. Too. It was better than Goldfinger, but I probably I put it on par with Doctor No for like enjoyability. All right. It had some pitfalls. I wanted a little more from Javier Bardem, but I really liked that he was in it. Yeah, it's weird that he like was not that big in it. Yeah, he could have been he could have been creepier and and they just kind of dropped the ball with it. Yeah, by the way, Christoph Waltz Incept Inspector, awful. I don't oh, like Christoph man. Waltz. Total total boner zone. He's always just no good. <laughs> that see that sounds like a good thing when you say. <laughs> yeah. Um Christoph Waltz is always the same dude in movies and it's a bummer for me. I like he was when he's when you want him to be that guy, he's great, but I've never he's never blown my mind. He got typecast, which is a shame because he's so good in Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. But that shot him up. But ever the since then, they've been trying to get him to do that. Yeah, there's this uh, 80s German TV movie called um, Something in German. <laughs> and it's about the uh, Anabaptist takeover of Munster in the 1600s when they like went nuts Jesus. And took that city over and um, it was like two people each claiming to be the Messiah and the, the the like princes and everything were trying to like siege the town for a year. And they had like a giant, like terrifying communist orgy party in the town for a year. And he plays one of the two leaders of the town and he's really good in it. And I've been trying to find it again because I saw it once years ago and I, I could never find it again. And he's really he's young acting. He's yeah. really Yeah, he's different. great in it. But I, I I have not been able to find that one again. That's a shame. I'm sure he, because he seems like a good actor. He was great in Inglorious Bastards. He's the only part of that movie I even thought was, actually the, all the Germans in that movie I liked. I didn't like the rest of that movie at all. I actually like, it's like one of my least favorite. Something Tarantino. wrong with you, Jenna. Yeah. But uh, I'm I'm sick of him. I, he's always the same guy in every movie now. And it just makes me feel like he, he can't do anything it else. It feels like he's always doing the same jokes too. In every yeah, movie. yeah, it's just uh, everything. And it interviews everything I see with him. He's the same guy. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of like when an actor has like a really famous part and then they start turning up in commercials as that character. Yeah. It's he's, like he's doing that in other movies. He's, he's like Jack Ernest. Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. <laughs> yeah. He's like Ernest P. Worrell. Like Tom Cruise. He's He's... Falling into that just like same guy all the time yeah. thing. All it's right, I got nothing against Cruz. He's just always the same guy. Now Cruz is Cruz Magnolia. Come on, 
when he wants to act, he's Eyes great. wide shut. Yeah. Same thing with, uh, you know, he was different. Nicholson, when he wants to act, he's great, but he just always acts as the same. Pacino's doing it too, ever since, uh, no, Pacino, yeah, Pacino's, Pacino, oof. um, he, he stopped it a little bit because he's doing smaller he's doing projects now. now. Yeah. yeah. Again, he was on the train the, for a while with the two of them, but I, I don't see that with Tom Cruise. I mean, edge of dark or uh, edge of tomorrow. He's, he's really good. And, and he's, he's different from what he is in like mission impossible in that one. Yeah. He really like plays up the being a prick thing. I love Edge of Tomorrow, by the way. Just got to throw that out there again. Didn't they change the title of that? Yeah, they did because it made no money. So they were convinced it was the fault of the title. So then they changed it to Live, Die, Repeat. Just like, that's not a title. That's a tagline. Yeah. And then the name of the comic it was based on that everyone was like, oh, they should change it to this was All You Need Is Kill, which has nothing to do with the movie anyway. (laughs) So it's one movie with three shitty titles. That's pretty bad. What would you title it? Emily Blunt doing yoga. (laughs) Hey, I'm, I'm... I would have been camping out for that like Star Wars. It was smart enough to put Emily Blunt doing yoga in the trailer. Should yeah. have just been the title. See, I didn't see the trailer. That's yeah, that's my problem. I would have seen the movie. Just watch the movie. It's a great movie. Okay. It's a wonderful movie. And Emily Blunt really is great in it. I don't want to diminish her. She's fucking yeah, yeah. awesome. That's what it. I hear. <laughs> like, let, <laughs> let's have the whole movie retitled to diminish her, but I don't want to diminish her. <laughs> well, you know. I mean, I would retitle fucking uh, HUD, Paul Newman without a shirt. Yeah. Doesn't mean he wasn't a great actor in it. Good point. Mm, Paul Newman, no shit. Or Exodus, too, actually. Probably anything he made from like 62 <laughs> to like 75. Paul Newman, no shirt one. Paul Newman, yeah. no shirt two. Electric Boogaloo. etc. All right. Thank you all for listening. See you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>